Said he was busy. Mm. Oh, accidentally hit the hang up button. Yeah, no, stop, it said you're busy. Stop cam whoring, Chris. You too important? You you too you too uh you a big deal now? Is that what this shit is? I need I need money to pay for my CSGO skins. Yes. <laughs> the only way is to pour that cheap ass out. That's uh, right. You, you gotta sell your uh, Destiny Two rifle hot dog skin to get your CS Ghost skin, right? You can mine some bitcoins and make your own. Sarita um, skin pre-order bonus. Yeah. At uh, EB Games, no joke. Yeah, joke. EB Games doesn't exist anymore. They do in spirit. I well, I got mine at Babbage's. Funko oh Land. How's FYI. that reference? FYE. Yeah. Well, FYE definitely exists still. It somehow. does? Oh my god. I and just don't go still to there for your entertainment. If you ever wanted to spend... Sea World. Yeah, man. Hit, hit, we're going to hit up the Sam Goody after this. Goody got it. Yeah. Sam Ash hasn't changed anything in like 20 years. I need the new Wu-Tang album. Does Goody have that? No, Mar- Martin Shkreli is selling it on eBay for $1.2 million to pay for his... Uh, well, he claims it's because uh, on, on the post he goes, I, I, I have a history of supporting musicians. Let's see if anyone else does. But really, it's probably to pay for his lawyers because he got found Oh, guilty. but it says he could uh, revoke the, the, the whole thing at any time. So it's probably just marketing for whatever reason. Sure. It's the hype up his company. You know? It's true. Maybe it's marketing for Wu Tang. Maybe they're yeah. the devil. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how about that? All you Wu Tang fans the, out there. The, la- the last Wu Tang wasn't strong. Uh, they're they're still like digging up random ODB samples from like a 15 year old hard drive. This is true. Riz is not as sharp as he used to be, and you God's getting full verses on albums, which should never happen because you God is trash. But look, <laughs> Wu Tang is still all right. You you still got Ghostface. You got Raekwon. Riz is still overall good. He's not as strong as he used to be. The Jizz is great. Um, those other people, you know. I'm glad you're so well-versed in Wu-Tang theology. Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang's Wu-Tang. got a big family. So Champion. I be a true expert. I doubt I doubt even the Jizz the genius himself. Method Man. Method Man's still the there. And really, Ghostface is like just like grown into this amazing uh solo artist i mean he had that great solo album with uh, bad bad not good or i guess it's a collab album not a solo mm-hmm. album but and then his 12 reasons to die album um was amazing like he's got if you're into hip-hop ghostface is on a tear that and he's also like the scariest man in rap ever yeah his last three albums have been really good the ones with um adrian young and then 36 seasons sort of sounded like an adrian young thing even though he wasn't there yeah I like that one song, uh, Two Thugs Bone Harmony. Two Thugs Boy Men. Bone Thug Bo- Harmony. <laughs> You're almost there. <laughs> it's also oh, fun it's well thought out, him. can't you tell? It's also fun when you see him on uh, on stage because it's just like this giant mountain of people uh, and most of the time none of them yeah. are doing anything except like saying two words of a verse. They're just kind of just, just wandering around. But they can uh, say two words of any verse that they want at any time. It's the ultimate live experience. Improv, going to speak up. Yeah. It's like Locked trad up. jazz. 
It is jazz, guys. I mean, don't you know that's where jazz came from? Hip-hop? It was originally hip-hop, and then they were like, man, we need to put some like t- guitars or something on this. It's not working. And that's why the best jazz album is Doobop by Miles Davis. Have you guys heard that one? No. <laughs> Maybe well, that should be one of the one of the bad albums. <laughs> Doobop by Miles so, Davis. Is that late career, so Miles? Like, Miles Davis kind of inadvertently <clears throat> the hip-hop thing with On the Corner, and that was cool. Yeah. But then he does it for real on Doobop. 92. And it's, it's not good, yeah. Yeah, his, his late career is uh, not... No, he uh, went into it that late. Uh, that's news to me. Oh yeah, he he dropped out in '75 because of uh, heroin shit, and um, there are a couple of sessions that he did between that and his return, but they never got uh, released officially. They're just out there as bootlegs. Um, but he came back in like '81, I think, with like wow. a totally new band, and it was uh, it was '80s time. So was it like of... '80s music? Did you oh, have yeah. some, like yeah. kick and snare yeah. and some synths? You know Marcus shit? Miller, the bassist. Sounds familiar. He I'll did say. an album with him. It's really cheesy slap stuff, and it's like it's good, but at the same time, it's also really cheesy slap stuff. The funny thing, though, is is that um, Doobop won a Grammy. It did. That's right. I forgot that. Best R and B instrumental <laughs> well, performance. All Grammy winners are incredible musicians, as we all know. It's just always funny when you're like, Not to "Oh, this is a Miles, very Miles av- Davis. this is a very average album," and then it just won an award. Yeah, man. It's like that Jeff like Tell song that uh, Judas Priest got all butthurt about. Which was that? Uh, they, I think it was Judas Priest. It might have been Metallica. It was like there was some like hard rock, best hard rock performance Grammy upset where like um, it was in like the the late eighties, early nineties where Jethro Tell beat this like heavy metal group. And they were like, "Oh come on, gonna get beaten by fucking Ian Anderson and his jazz flute." Just because I don't stand up on one foot and play flute doesn't make me less of a person. Well, that's, yeah, actually, that's, a, that's, a, weird, uh, that's a weird relationship that this album had, or what we're going to talk about today, is that uh, King Gizzard, I think it was for, yeah, for Nanagon Infinity, they won Best uh, Hard Rock slash Heavy Metal Album during the aria music awards which is the australian recording industry which i think consists of seven people um most of them in king gizzard but like a lot of people threw a hissy fit that king gizzard wasn't metal and so you know because the internet's a toilet and nothing good can happen but um so you're gonna have to expound on this uh that the award team was actually composed of the band themselves thing it was a joke that no music comes out of australia it's them okay. and ACDC, right? Right. And uh, Men at Work? Or is that New Mars Zealand? Mars Volta, five days out of the year. Mars Volta, right. Um, I think there was like... Uh, like Tool, Tool always does uh, Australia. Oh, See, Jesus I found my God. way to put Tool in. No one cares. <laughs> was it like black... Check, check that one off, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tool reference made. It's easy. I mean, that's like one-tenth one of the world. You just have to mention it, and it's in there. Right. So spiral so goes all the way down. Yeah. In, Ouch. In conclusion, though, <laughs> up or down, out yeah. and down and. In conclusion, um, the '80s were not great to Miles Davis, but he had some really fucking good stuff. He doesn't right look before. very good on that cover there. No, he it's looks a little bit. Uh, it's it's you can oblivious. find like interviews of him on like Oprah or like the the Today Show, and he's just like grumbles into a microphone and he's like, "Deep Miles, that was deep. 
It's crazy because those are like really the only video interviews of him. You know, you're not going to find anything from the 70s or earlier. And so it's just him doing like the 80s talk show circuit. It's bizarre. There's, there's, Especially since he's got, he's got the fro with the bald spot going on. He is like Cedric. He's going. <laughs> <laughs> it, you notice, I can huh? totally see him looking like. 90s Miles Davis in the future. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that, when I saw it, the driving live, man, I had a great time. They they were awesome live, but uh, you could definitely tell when he flailed certain ways. Um, that fro is definitely it's, it's it's covering up. He's got there's some intense male pattern pattern ball. In Pretty sure team. Cedric has specific dance moves to push his hair down when he's doing backflips on stage. <laughs> well, he wasn't doing those moves. He was doing the wrong moves. Yeah, that and the hot water, those are his secrets. Yeah. He has to gargle it on you. That's the trick. Yeah. That you pass on the legacy. Uh, but yeah, he like, right before he, you got Live Evil, Jack Johnson on the corner, all this good stuff. Uh, one day maybe we'll talk about Miles Davis. Today's not that day. I think we just did. Well, yeah. Or um, if you like, uh, he had a couple live albums from the early 70s where basically he was doing what Omar rodriguez lopez would do in 2005 just jam on a riff and see what happens yeah oh yeah you got you got listen yeah. to dark magus and agarta, is great. And, and agarta they are all right amazing albums that's that's a band i like seeing uh like in video form i really don't like like music videos or concert videos or anything like that but just seeing that group make all that noise it's it's crazy when he had when uh, miles had the wah pedal for his trumpet yeah, that shit was and like, amazing. You got Pete Cozy and Reggie Lucas, two of the most underrated guitarists ever. <laughs> and that rhythm section, just who, who boy? Joey Bongos. <laughs> <laughs> so, well done, well done. Yeah. So let's get into this episode. Uh, this is music talk. Um, with Chris and Armando again. How are you guys doing? Yeah? I'm not doing so well. Twin Peaks is over. Oh, that's true. You had to remind me. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, there's always something there to remind me. Mm, I got it stuck in my head now. Thanks. Curb Your Enthusiasm starts up again soon after like a I saw three the three leaked episodes. There's, um, uh, there's leaked episodes? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I yeah, know you didn't read tonight. about that? No. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, because they're like they're like the pre-production versions that like uh, the studio execs will get shown. So, like, they'll use um, uh, like uh, watermarked images for uh, the transitions. Like, you know, when they'll show Larry David's house before they cut to a scene. Really? Yeah. Uh, and there's like really janky green screen stuff, like um, like uh, for like when someone opens and closes a laptop, like it, it won't match up a hundred percent. Okay. So it's sort of interesting from a production standpoint to see that as well. But the episodes are great. Um, I, I know sure. they they were leaking for Game of Thrones, but I just because of how cinematic that show is, I didn't want to watch the like a grainier, low quality image. Oh man, right. seeing Twin Peaks well, with the lights actually- out on a big TV, like. Just is so it. immersive watching did, Twin Peaks. Like, did you figure you out know. which Tool albums sync up to Twin Peaks, huh? Have you done that yet? Uh, yeah, have you, punk? Because <laughs> now you, you know after this accept. podcast, you're gonna try to figure it out. Nah, I, I. You know what? There's something in common with I noticed with Volta and Lynch and what uh, 
they say how they they always say that any viewer or listener's interpretation is just as valid because it's um you know that is that you can interpret it and I think it's interesting that two of like the major echelons in art have that view that I don't really look at it the way that I make art and I never really think that I want my art to be like that that it's like oh make of it whatever you want you know I, I always think like there is a specific story going on there and there's a game to the mystery of it so maybe they're just being coy like yeah mm, you know just to validate people's opinions just to make them feel better but secretly there is something that they intend to mean by it but sure you know I think that's a that's a really enticing element to great art any either way and it's interesting that they kind of share that mentality. So there. Yeah. yeah. Amen. But there, are, I don't know. I don't know any other artist that really takes such a huge stance in that. And I guess that's what's so clutch about Lynch doing this. Is that I would all say movies are so. They're like the ones that I. Yeah, think but you know, have you seen that clip? Like, kid shows death grips to his dad, and his dad like gets into it. He's like, "Yeah, this one's not bad." <laughs> I mean, like the money store and and bottomless pit both have like legitimate like earworms. It's so weird. I've tried listening to any of it, and I'm just like, okay, dot dot dot. Not really gonna hear this again. But I'll take your word for it. They had, there's a bootleg of the soundscape they used to play before their live shows. That's worth watching. That's cool. listen, sorry, not watching. <laughs> listening to. See, yeah, I'm sure they um, produce great and, and by, stuff. By soundscape, as a whole. It's just, by soundscape, it's mostly just a uh, murderous overtone. Murderous, like a like a Halloween soundtrack. You play out your window. Like if Robert Thrift soundscapes were throw, or like Brian Eno soundscapes were like nice. had the distortion cranked to infinite and then thrown in a wood chipper. Nice Steve Buscemi reference. Yeah, <laughs> well done. I was definitely going for that deep Fargo reference, folks. Oh, it's man, like it has so like deep. ten seconds of screen time, and it's like one of the most famous Steve Buscemi moments, and he's not even there. I wonder if he even knew about its filming, because you know, you, sometimes you just look at your sides and you're like, whatever. That's no, nah, he probably knew about it, but still, that oh, that nice was filmed. Th- no, that was filmed at his house. That was like oh, part that's of a candid camera. That, that was, was a candid camera outtake. That was Steve Buscemi in <laughs> that wood chipper. Method acting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Spoiler alert. Uh, uh, I was talking to. Paz de la Huerta once on the phone and I'm just like are you method acting and she like turns to her agent <laughs> he asked if I'm method acting and uh, and then she was so that was interesting <laughs> <laughs> that that was her being in character doing that and I was like okay that's great she did a music video with some guys and it's basically like her rolling all over a canvas with paint I don't know if I mentioned this on here before but I was like that's Sounds familiar. Ooh, yum yum. <laughs> no, not really. No, no. I, uh... <laughs> Should we be talking about this when we're recording in the day? I mean, this seems like Riff and Ralph after dark. Just close your eyes. Use your imagination. Well, <laughs> I'm there with you, Chris. So, Kid Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is an interesting band. I would say so myself. Yeah, I saw their performance on Coachella, having never heard of them before. You know, I like to watch those live streams. They're a great experience. You get that summertime, daytime feel, because they're out on daytime performance, out on outdoor stage. And two drummers and odd time signatures and, like, really catchy riffs, and they're just nailing it. And they got this, like, stoic southern kind of thing going on where they're just, like, rock and roll, you know? And it's like, hmm. That was really cool. And then you suggested that we do this, and uh, I really like their albums. Yeah, they are a... Yep. 
seven-piece band from Australia. Only came, they came together in 2010, but have already produced one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Ooh. eleven albums, two EPs, and uh, so they're obviously quite prolific. And allegedly, they have t- three of those albums just came out this year. Allegedly, two more are coming out. Um, we'll see if they get down. Get this done. year. Yeah, the, Steve, yeah, this year. Stu McKenzie, who is the lead vocalist and also sort of the spokesperson for the band, um, initially claimed early in the year that there was going to be five Gizzard albums this year. Um, then he later said he deeply regretted saying that because he's not sure if it's going to happen in time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say one of these albums um, was recorded relatively recently, I read. Um, so I think he's kind of... <laughs> he might be scrambling to uh, make this prophecy true. Kind of like well, Omar out, uh, saying he's going to release credits 12 and Instrumental credits and stuff? Like, do you know, are these albums each collaboratively written? Or is it like, okay, here's Paul's album, here's Jim's album, you know? I, I think only uh, sketches is a collaboration. Um, Interesting. So is it like one songwriter and a bunch of people helping him out or something? Otherwise? I think so. I think, I think Stu is, is the guy. I think he's the guy. Stu, um, is, Stu is the gizzard Omar in a lot of ways. So he's King Gizzard and then well, the rest of the band is the lizard wizard. Well, so what I, 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 so I went, <laughs> I went to the, we're really breaking this down. I, went, <laughs> well, I did. I can, I can answer some of this. Um, I did read some interviews and basically it was a group of friends that like just played parties and stuff. And like kept changing their name and kept just and you know they're just goofing around having fun and all of yeah. a sudden like they're offered a real gig and then they're like uh, working gizzard and the lizard wizard and I think and if I and I'm hopefully I'm remembering this correctly basically they they were gonna they were just like this isn't gonna actually stick with stick with and um, it did because I think it was sort of like oh this is just sort of a goofy name we can have. And, and I, ju- I actually just read the Wikipedia page for him, and they originally were going to be called. They uh, Stu wanted them to be called Gizzard Gizzard, um, <laughs> and that was vetoed. And so, but and then they were supposed to be originally be like sort of like a, a Grateful Dead kind of. Hey, we can be. We don't all have to be on the band together. We can like make various formations because like who needs two drummers and three guitarists and uh, a harmonica player. Um, and but then they decided like, hey, we're all just going to kind of play as one giant, super powerful unit. And but yeah, Stu McKenzie writes a majority of the material. They kind of the way the way I read it is that they sort of nominated him to be the front the the the, the front man because he was the one that had the most initiative to make it happen. So that's sort of how that happened. And uh, then they just started dumping out albums left and right. And um, I, as a as I, th- I think one thing I'll, I, I could say as uh, three big Volta heads, big Omar fans, as we reviewed all those albums, is that Gizzard almost has a similar spirit. Not not necessarily the same sound, but a similar spirit of just wild, wacky adventures in an over the top, almost cartoonish type band. But ultimately, it you, it comes together, and you're like, oh shit, this is amazing. Yeah, I, and like I would say only ahead. for a couple albums though, like. Um... Uh, like Nonagon Infinity, for instance, I would say that they definitely channel that, like, uh, that, like, um, you know, that heavy, heavy sounding, but also, like, you know, fast moving energy that, you know, Volta has. Um, I would put them in that upper echelon of artists, also. There's that word again. Because they have this ability to just kind of, like, left hook on a dime. Like, Sketches is just such a completely different sound. Yeah. And, you know, that's, like, a key thing like when radiohead did kid a and you know it's not just that they're a soft band but the fact that they just took this left turn and did a completely different genre a different pace different tempo and style and 
you know, but mostly just to explore their artistic interests. And, you know, I can really respect when a band does that. Like, you know, like I think like uh, MGMT did that sort of recently. They had just like some weird ass albums that their typical fans wouldn't appreciate, like really cordy, you know. Have they put uh, out an album recently? I can't. I couldn't tell you the last time I heard anything. A couple of years ago, I think a few years ago, they kind of faded out on purpose. They did one of those like, yeah, here's some trip hop by. But they it looks like they're about to put one out this year. Oh, nice! That's really good. I look forward to that a lot. Little dark uh, after. I think Grizzly Bear was one of those bands that I thought would be like the Odonex Radiohead, but they never took that left turn. They just always kept putting out their same sound and style, and I got kind of bored of their newer, like, last album, probably. I just didn't really care. Have you listened? I I know this is a little off topic, but have you listened to that new Grizzly Bear? It is phenomenal. Well, I mean, yeah, I listened to it a couple times, but I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) I feel like I heard this before too much. Um,. But maybe I'll check it out again. So today we were going to discuss uh, the three albums that came out this year. Uh, obviously, real quick, I'll say uh, Chris mentioned Anagon Infinity. If you've never heard of the band before, I think that's a great entry point. Um, it is quarters two. Quarters I, I is think great. Quarter, yeah. yeah, or I'm in your mind fuzz. I would also nominate. It's a little bit lower five, but it's still really good. But uh, Nanagon has a fun little party trick in that it's a never-ending album in in a way. Uh, the the last track perfectly transitions into the first track. Uh, well, each track perfectly transitions into the other one, and so it's just sort of this endless loop of bonkers, garage, surfer, acid rock. Um, it's a Mobius strip of sound, man. Yeah, bro. Uh, 420 <laughs> Blaze It. And, um, but it's really, really good music. That's the thing you can't take away from it. So, it, But we're going to start off with Microtonal Flying Banana. Uh, they wanted to get into micro microtones, which for you uh, Western civilization plebs, <laughs> is uh, the tones between the notes that we, we don't normally play in Western music. So your double sharps and your double flats. It's sort of those funkier sounds that you hear maybe in Central Asian, Southern Asian music. Um, now, is this divided in between half steps, or is this just like, oh, you've got two half steps in a row, so that's funky kind of stuff? I think they're quarter steps. Like they're, yeah, 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 okay. So they're microtones. They're like... You know, like there's like 20 notes in between C and C instead of 12 notes in between C and C. Right. No, not even. Yeah, not, that's right. So like you would have like uh, a Something sharp. Like you would have a sharp, but then you'd also have a double sharp, then B double flat, then B flat. I think. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So it makes things subdivided like, harmony. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it makes things a lot more intense. Definitely sort of odder tones, but. Um, so I'm surprised that, how musical this album doesn't even sound like Indian music, too. It's just like, you can tell that they're doing interesting shifts in the chords, but it's just sort of like their own, it, you know. Because yeah. that comes from, like, Indian music, uh, like, I mean, not maybe only, but, you know, they with the, the whew, that damn instrument they use for everything. What's that called? The, sitar? What do you call sitar? It? Sitar? Thank you. I've got satyrs on my mind. I'm like, it's not a satyr. What the fuck? Um... You know, it has, the, the, it has the frets on it. it. It has the frets for that on it, so you can do that built into that instrument. And the right. sympathetic strings. <laughs> Satyrs and the sympathetic strings? What, what was it? Satyr sailors and the sympathetic strings? Satyr moves? Oh, God. <laughs> Is that like... A, that'd be like a Jewish horror movie? No, it's a Jewish anime. Why? <laughs> what do the Jews have to do with satyrs? Satyr moon! Everything. What are you bringing? 
Okay, I have to brush up on my my Seder is like Passover. Jewish mythology. It, no, it's not like Passover. It's like um, Easter. I meant Seder's like S A T Y R, the mythical beast. Oh, we oh. were talking about like the the Jewish Easter meal. S A T E R. Better on the same page here. You're bringing a shikska to the Seder. So we got a Seder at a Seder. What are you doing? In a sailor's outfit. Tuxedo mask is not kosher. It's a furry, right? So that's what we're going with this. It's a furry dressed as a satyr at a seda in a Sailor Moon outfit. Playing a sitar. Playing a sitar. That's the next theme for the King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard album. So microtonal, what do you guys make of it? I wish there was uh, more microtonal instruments. I was looking at the liner notes um, before we started, and um, there are... There's only one microtonal instrument listed um, in the liar notes for microtonal banana, and there's like the zerna. There's like oh, is it a hurdy gurdy. Is there like a hurdy gurdy on this? of uh, Brunswick East, so I want to know what's going on there. Well, That's so cool. to expand on that, um, they took their guitar. They took well, apparently they were just like, hey, this would be a fun idea to play with, and then they all took guitars, re refretted them, re like re basically no took way. them apart, refretted them. And then took all their like took a bunch of keyboards and synth uh, and whatever, and then also re retuned them so they would have, they could produce the sound. So you are right. There's not like a lot of traditional micro tonal producing instruments, but that's because then they took traditional instruments and completely massacred them. Right. So the album come the album name comes from the original guitar that they built to do this, which was called the the microtonal flying banana. Oh, okay. Because it's a big ugly yellow guitar. I like the, it. Does sound like a hurdy gurdy. Uh, it, might, it sounds like a woman screaming, maybe, but it just keeps oh, going. Zerta. Changing frets. The Zerta? Okay. Yeah, it's the the. Is the it a winding type the snake same style instrument? Same style of thing. If you know yeah. what a hurdy gurdy is. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a, it's cool. a it's a wood instrument. Um, or a woodwind. My bad. Um, so someone's blowing through it. Yeah. Oh, someone is okay. definitely blowing through it. Blowing that <laughs> instrument. Blowing so, that Z. Uh, that's some cool shit. It reminds me of. Uh, the the furs psychedelic furs is it the one of their early shit sure sure yeah. not too familiar and there's a little bit of like a southern style on some of these tracks like some sort of not just southern but like classic western rock not really not really country rock but you know what I mean like classic western I don't like know like the eagles <laughs> Yes. Microtonal exactly. Hotel California. In the way that they have oh some God. elements of that in their music, but are a totally different beast. I almost got a um, late era Boredom's vibe with sort of the – because you have your, your first three songs, which I think are the strongest of the album, Rattlesnake, Melting in Open Water, just are kind of grooves that they sort of play on over and over again. And late stage Boredom's was a lot is a lot of just like – jamming on a specific groove and a specific idea and then they'll tweak it and make crazy stuff with it so all the all three of those songs don't have like a large really much of a structure to them um it's just sort of one sort of central riff that they're playing on over and like kind of twisting up a little bit and so i love that drive um rattlesnake uh really is a, sort of an, a song you could put on when you're driving way too fast on the highway and um yeah that one really stood out from the Coachella performance when I heard this album I was just like oh yeah I remember that, that. one kind of reminds me of a Volta song a little bit now that I think about it and I love I listened to a live radio broadcast and the audience went ballistic singing you know the one line in the song <laughs> over, you know, like people were just yeah. screaming rattlesnake 
Now that uh, works on this album. I wanted to mention yes. because you know, but I don't I'm not so sure about the next one. But that like, it's different reasons. But yeah, but then you I have, like how they each song is its own lyric. It <laughs> sometimes. is. And then you got uh, Melting and Open Water, which are a lot more percussion-heavy. Uh, Melting just has some really cool drum patterns. And then Open Water, which is my favorite song in the album, uh, running at just over seven minutes. But it is su- it's is it got such a cool groove to it. Uh, I, I a lot of times have like visuals that run in my mind when I'm listening to music, and this was reminding me of like like a boat going through the like really dangerous waters when it shouldn't be and like crashing through the waves, which I guess hence the name. Uh, but like, so it just sort of this like reckless journey that it kind of creates that. Um, and then the other one, the other song that really stuck out to me was Doom City. It's it, it, again, it's like it's got one line. Uh, he just says da 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 Doom City a lot, and uh, but it works. And it's got just some really cool heavy riffs. It's got some really good chunkiness to it. That one reminded me of the Volta a bit more than the others. Yeah, it has some of that their production styles when they do weird shit. And the fun thing that I, um, is that they, one the I was reading another interview where they're talking about their gear, and they don't the guitarists really don't have a lot of pedals. They all have like only maybe three or four pedals. It's all just in the design of what like amps they're using and the guitars themselves. So they create some really f- wild sounds, and it's just yeah purely just analog concoctions. And I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. I think you're right. It's just simple guitar sound sounds, but when you have that many musicians collaborating and fading in now you have that many layers it's more like a symphony if you will and they're all that's with with so many polyrhythms which is such a key to their music it's important to keep it simple even though you're doing nine eight and someone else is doing like you know five four over it and you're just like okay see ya and you don't even look at each other when you play it's crazy they're fucking really tight but it's because the songwriting is so tight it's so like condensed and it's more about instruments fading in and out so you're going on this journey like you said that uh for the most time it's a a riff that you expect even if it's a really weird tone you have all these like three different melodic instruments just playing one riff at a time and that makes a weird kind of chord or some octaves or it's something with this album that really sticks out is how or i think king gizzard in general is how full these albums sound is because pretty much everything is doubled up um, like every there's you know there's two guitars or three guitars two drums everything has this big big sound to it so it just it, it, it there's no sparseness to it and, but then it allows each instrument to do even tiny little differences so then you have all these fun kind of I think like you were mentioning these fun ideas are fading in and out at constantly which makes makes the album really unique where you know the first time you're not going to catch it and something that excites me as a big Volta fan and sort of similar music is you don't catch a lot of the fun details the first time. But then the second time you listen to it, all of a sudden, oh, shit, I didn't notice that. But it's that, catchy or, oh, enough know. that where you're yeah. like, the second time you listen to it, you're like, okay, I, I know this, I remember it, you know? But you want to go back familiar. to it a second. You want to go back to it. And it has a lot of layers, time. too. So that's two different elements that are hard to put together to be, like, easily digested and a last long-lasting. Yeah, right? exactly. What about you, Chris? What's your take on... Because I really, really like it, by the way. Flying Mic- Microtonal is probably my favorite of these three. So what, what do you think, Chris? And I've a little clear explain that. I think it's good. I wouldn't call it my favorite. Um, I like the other two more. However, um, it, I, I still thought it was good. Like Rattlesnake is a great track. Melting is also a very good track. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it it's good. just in comparison to the others because the th- they seem to have. I will the say same that style like a lot of albums, and so this album just kind of seemed a little more diverse than the next one. Yeah, and obviously, feel- Sketches is totally different, so that's its own thing. 
yeah, I feel like that's that's a cool thing that they that they're doing with um, the the multiple releases this year is that they all have like a really different thing going on, and um, it certainly got my attention because I sort of put them in a in a box before this year that was like uh, you know just generic um, new garage rock shit, um, but now they're really sort of like you know making their own mold and like you know really getting a unique thing going on, which is pretty cool and. This album is sort of like the first step of that. Like they're making mm-hmm. microtonal garage rock, which right. you know you really don't see every day. I guess it sounds like that, their earlier stuff was more consistent, and then this is yeah. their first like kind of taste of this is something different. Yeah, definitely. I do wish there was less Zerna, though. I really can't. Really, I have I have hard I have a hard time with that with that sound. <laughs> it's a little bit much. Uh, well, I think it is epic. all over I think the it's place. Like on goat a lot too. I heard I feel a similarity with that with that just vibe of like. You know, it's just like kick-ass war anthem of tribal shit. Definitely. One thing that, that to note is that they dubbed this Explorations in Microtonal Tuning Volume 1, and I I am excited. Hopefully they do more of this microtone kind of music because I think the more they practice it, the more they rehearse, like work on this idea. You could. Pr- I, I, one thing that I felt a little bit about this album was like, we're going to try some ideas – um, some and uh, I don't know if every idea perfectly worked, but it's sort of more of like a what can we do with this with this with this microtones? What can we do with this idea? As opposed to we know what to do with it. I think overall the album turns out to be a success, but I think giving them the opportunity then later on that they have a little bit of a clearer picture of oh well, wow th- this is like the potential of this kind of this different type of music, this this different type of instrument tuning. We could do a lot more with it, so I, I would I would be eager to listen to any future microtonal al- um, al- uh, outings by this band. Chris, well, I think though, we already did. Yeah, they do. They do touch on it later on. Chris is one so thing you, you said mentioned. Sketches though, is, yeah, yeah. But Chris, you mentioned one thing that kind of cracked me up as you made this comment, like, "Oh, it's another generic garage rock band," something to this extent. And I was trying to remember. I'm like running through my brain, like, "What was the last big garage rock band?" And all I could think of was Black Keys. And then in my mind, I'm I mean, like, you got you got Black Keys, White Stripes, Tame Impala. I know, but like, um, compare, the compare King, comparing such King different Gizzard, genres though. Comparing King Gizzard to Black Keys, or or even Tame Impala to Black Keys. I'm yeah, just, but that's like saying what you know. What's making Chuck Garage Berry Rock about and, it? And Thin Lizzy are both rock bands, but they are pretty vastly different. Okay, no, what's Garage exactly about the them? What's Garage about them? Then I don't really get that. I get where he's coming from. Sort of like this chunky, fuzzy guitar yeah, work. Lo-fi sound. Okay. Um, like there's sort of that, uh, like, uh, classic rock and roll, but slower and dirtier sounding. Yeah. And then, exactly. So, yeah. And, and like King Gizzard has that, but then it just like if that dirty garage, dirty rock sound, like smoked all the meth in the universe, and then was let loose. Okay, so I could see that with their tone on their earlier stuff being more consistent and similar to Flying Microtonal yeah, than definitely. Murder like of them, the Universe or Sketches. Them stepping out of their comfort zone like three years ago was the the two acoustic albums that they did. Right. Uh, but like... Paper Mache is so cute. It's a cute album. Uh, it's I like right, the title, it's Paper Mache Dream Balloon. Yeah. It's cute. So what's the other one? Do other acoustic? I forget the name of it. It might be one of their EPs. Okay. I know they're both earlier albums, like uh, pre-quarters, so like pre-2015. I think Oddments was also pretty mellow, if I remember. 
Yeah, that one was that one was I like that. That I wouldn't call that. It was yeah, it's mellow. Despite like the, not, um, despite the ghastly album cover. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Boy. Um I would recommend Microtonal. Um I, I wouldn't say it's their, it's definitely not their best outfit, but just a lot of fun, a lot some really, really good tracks. My girlfriend, funny enough, hates Rattlesnake. She like I played it for her once and she's like, Why don't they stop fucking saying Rattlesnake? <laughs> I can see that. I mean I can yeah, see that. Easily. But it's catchy if you are willing to accept the snake. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool riff. Yeah. It's a really cool and riff. And I think it's the most evidence of like just blatant microtonal where they just shift up like that. You know, yeah. they're just like, Okay, here's the riff, here's the riff, here's the riff, here's the riff, here's the riff. <laughs> you know. Here's the riff. <laughs> it's cool, but it's a little it's like, you know, it's blatant microtonal if you're not it, it puts you in the mindset, I think, for the rest of it to not be as obvious because the rest right. of it just seems more like this is just music. I don't see what's so different about it, you know. Whereas this one's like, okay, brace yourselves, you know. So well, until that Zerna like goes ape shit all over some of the songs, <laughs> dude, it, it totally does. Like, I love it, it. Takes, it takes over. It's like uh, like a Japanese beetle. I feel like it, <laughs> it, it makes me want to grab my spear and just you know hit the highway. Yeah, just like jump on some cars and like a like a regular Katniss. <laughs> right, or Ray, or Reyes. who? Who? Who is the? Well, they all have to be Furiosa, female protagonists these a days. Regular, a regular Furiosa. <laughs> Get on that Fury Road. What do you guys think, though? Are the fires just going to destroy every forest in America eventually? I think we all deserve to die at this point. Whoa! No, <laughs> too soon. Okay. Uh, no, Way to it, put a downer on the mood. Well, speaking of all of us dying, the next album we're, we're describing is Murder oh, of the shit. Universe. There you go. Sweet transition. Bravo. Applause break. This was the... <laughs> clap, clap, clap. This is the second album released and... Uh, Ever. By King Gizzard in the year 2017. Yeah, Thank it was co- coincidentally the second album ever released in time. Uh, it's matter. People forgot about it for about a hundred some odd years, and then all of a sudden it well, showed it makes up again. Sense. Like, first album is murder, and the second album is the murder of the universe because like murder oh, has so to that's be established. Who murder first. is right. Okay. I finally get it. Ah. Uh, but so this was described <laughs> as their most narrative-driven album, and it's kind of like three EPs glued together in a in a way. You have the Altered Beast story, the Lord of Lightning versus Balrog, and then. Han Tumi and the murder of the universe where the entire universe dies. I love it. <laughs> Armando, what did you think of? <laughs> okay, now <laughs> um, I'm a little I'm a little split on this a little torn here cuz lyrically and conceptually and you know the cover art and the titles and the concepts and like what you just said basically, you know, that shit's awesome musically speaking, it's amazing. Like, if you just put on any of these tracks, maybe if you just listen... Let's say track. If you just put on any of these tracks, I'd say it'd blow you away. It's really great. But as an album, maybe it's just the vocals, but just hearing Altered Beast, Altered Beast, Alter Me, Alter Me, like, over and over again for, like, 20-some-odd minutes gets a little bit grating. Um, the rest of it's a little better in that regard. You mean but you I didn't this, like the song Balrog where he just says Balrog I love about? that. Oh, I, I, I love that track. But I'm saying where they 
they do this thing where it's like a classical music thing where you have motifs. You come back with a theme every now and then, which they do a lot better on sketches, I think. But in this one, it seems like they try to just keep... And they do it also on their other stuff. You know, they, they come back with the same... Like Rattlesnake, it just keeps coming back. But in this album, you have the same hook coming back throughout songs all over it. And uh, it gets a little bit... I, I think they were testing the water. They are trying a style and... Yeah, I love the instrumentation and the, the the kid reading like mythology in the background. It's fucking awesome. It works so well, but uh, not the I don't know. Just little bits of it get a little annoying. But too much repetition and themes, you know, musical repetition. I mean, it even to the point where it repeats uh, a riff or uh, not a riff, but a pattern from Nanagon Infinity during I, I can't remember if it's life death or some context. You have that. Uh, cool though. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just they're experimenting a lot, so that's great that they do that. You know, that's the, the point of experimentation is to be like, oh, let's try doing this, and this—that's a really important stylistic thing to try to do if you're trying to make like expansive music. You should have some recurring motifs every now and then. But you know, since they're experimenting, I think it, it was a little shy on that. But that—it's only one little thing. But you know, if you hear one little thing that annoys the shit out of you, it'll make you disregard all the other awesome stuff. So sure. you can't really fault it for that. I really love the Lord of Lightning and Balrog stuff. That's my favorite. Chris, what did you think? I loved it. Um, this was the album that uh, really made me reconsider King Gizzard as a band. Um, <laughs> it reminds me a lot of um, of Hawkwind stuff, how they do the, the heavy, repetitive riffing mixed with the um, spoken word stuff. Um, so I was really into it. I didn't like Chapter 3, though. The, the synthetic voice I wasn't into. The the girl I liked, but like the, the synthetic voice was a little bit much. You didn't like the text-to-speech? No, no. And I feel like overall it was a little bit much. Like um, It got to like rambling points a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Just like too much. Like just give it a break, let the music part breathe, and then get back into the spoken word. Like that's totally fine if you want to do an all-spoken word album. But like... Um, it reminded me of the Gorillas a little bit, where they do that, where it's just a spoken word over music. Gorillas? Yeah, they do that every now and then. Like that one about the monkey head, or uh, the monkey head island, and there's a lot of it on their newer stuff. I really didn't, I hated their new album. Um, so I'm not, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Um, <laughs> Triggered. You Triggered, per- yeah. Personally apologizing need, for the Gorillas. I need my safe space. <laughs> Please, Sorry to mention space, a band please. that you don't like. Yeah, exactly. David Albarn <laughs> haunts my dreams. Um, yeah. What's your what do you well? So you loved it. What do you? What's your favorite part of the album then? Um, I just like the mix of uh, the spoken word and like the the heavy riffing stuff. I really it gives it like um, I don't know like this you know crate digger like 70s european like psych vibe to it like like something some rare random record that you'd find in like a record store that's like from 1973 or something like that like some library music i liked it 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 itched that scratch on yeah that, that thing about library music that's great because their whole sound style production vibe is very 70s and retro to a degree and this is like a very prog rock fucking. yeah like like do you guys know goblin yes no yeah like it made me think of like goblin you know soundtrack shit too 
like that Giallo, Giallo. I don't know. How is you there a, is there synth on this album, or is it still guitars? Well, there's synth on all of there the is. albums. Yeah, definitely synth. The the dedicated harmonica player also plays the keyboards. Nice. God bless him. Yeah. Do it. Do it. God's work out there. <laughs> we didn't talk much about the two drummers before, but two instruments uh, at a time. The, the you know I don't think I don't think Radiohead pulls off the two drummers thing. Sometimes you know they do most of the time, but sometimes it's a little off. And they're one of the best bands in the world. So to see these guys just nail it so accurately in like a chaotic environment like that is pretty impressive. Uh, but songwriting wise, what do you guys think of the two drummers and how they pull it off? I wish there was a little bit more variability, especially like when you watch the videos. There's a lot of times where they're doing the same thing, uh, maybe mm-hmm. just mixing up during the fills. But uh, overall, but hitting different instruments, you know, so you have a cymbal being tapped and a hi hat being tapped, or two cymbals being tapped. It's I have I have a feeling that like it probably works better live because like um, King Crimson, for instance, like if you listen to uh, a recording of this version of King Crimson playing, it really doesn't sound that crazy. But when you see it live, it's like a totally different animal. Um, would you agree on that, Alex? Um, well, it's one of those things, since I've just listened to it so much, I would disagree, but that's only because I'm really well-versed. So I'm like, oh, this is how one person can't play that. But you're right in the sense, like, if you, like, I think a better example would be if you listen to Lark's Tongue, which has two drummers. Um, Wait, what? Lark's Tongue and I Aspic. thought Jamie Muir just played, uh, like, percussion shit. Well, he plays he, drums too. He technically plays drums on there, but yeah, he does just wander around and make a lot of crazy noises. Uh, but you may not catch that. But then, like, if you want, there's a couple live videos where he he's actually playing with them. Still, there's like a live, there's a video of them playing like a 20 minute improv, and you're like, oh, that's how it comes together. So I, I think in the same sense of like, you listen to it on the album, like half the time I'm like, oh, I wouldn't believe that there's three guitars. But then you know, you watch and you're like, oh, now I get how there's three guitars. So it's. That's a really cool thing as a musician. I feel like this is another album uh, of music made for musicians. Cause, but it's a good album for the generic public, too, like I said, because it's very surface level. You can appreciate it. There's catchy riffs. Its vocals are very clear. And the vocals always go with the guitar, too, which makes it like easy to sort of follow, despite the fact that they're doing crazy shit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was going somewhere with that. But. <laughs> um. The word I use to describe this album is ballistic. It yeah, is... I don't know if I would use ballistic. It's a little bit more tempered. Well, this is why it's my turn. That's just like your opinion, man. Right. Um, <laughs> Did the carpet have your name on it? Well, in like Armando, uh, Lord it's of Lightning rug, versus sir. Lord of Lightning versus Balrog is my favorite part. I listened to that chunk of al- the album, so like that little EP portion a billion times over the summer it's just like when when he's doing that little intro and then he says lightning and then the guitar just goes off on this totally insane tone and he starts making these crazy crazy sounds um i was like oh my god what this is this is that whole chunk of the album is just completely ballistic it's so intense it's like it's um it, it feels like it's just itching to go completely off the rails and if like a band were attempt to cover it they would never be able to do it like it would just blow up in their face but like so it is the whole moment the whole chunk feels like it's bursting at the seams like it's ready to derail like kind of like 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 sometimes when you listen to volta you're like just like a little bit more and this whole thing just disintegrates into nonsense but it just keeps on it barely keeps on the rails so that reminds me that, uh, you know, it, music for musicians in that you, you're able to interpret it in a way that's, you know, you, you can tell 
when you focus how many instruments are playing at a time or the fact that they're fading in and out. But right. you have to pay attention to that if you want to see that. Like I said, you don't have to pay attention to appreciate, but it has that depth to it, and that's a really great thing to be able to appreciate in a band. And yeah, so like when I, for I think a good example of that is when I when I play drums, when I practice drums, a lot of times I'm just I, I'll put on an album and I'll play to it just to kind of practice new styles and whatever. Um, and so I put this on naturally, and th- these al- this album is incredibly fast. It is going at a very very fast pace. Um, so like when they're doing the drum fills, when they're, the drummers are playing, like they are, it's obviously not like it's a death metal fest. They're not like the best beats, bro. But like they are going at a quite a frantic. Yeah. It's incredible. They're really tight too. They're all just, yeah. And so it it comes on. And when I listened to this live, I was so impressed that like, it doesn't, it doesn't slow down. It doesn't. They don't fall out of time. Like, they are such... Not a even a fraction of a second. No. You can't tell at all. They don't click... You don't get a flam at all, you know, from the two drummers hitting at a little a bit of an off. It's just... Like, like when they play the same beat as each other, that's some of the more impressive stuff. That you're not hearing something impressive unless you're aware of it, you're right. conscious of it. You're like, holy shit, that's two things being hit at the exact same time every time. That's and, crazy. And it's really cool because, like, when you look at the live setup, it, both drummers are looking at each other... And so, like, they're just, like, interlocked. They're not even looking at the rest of the band. They're yeah. just, like, we're just going to do our shit, and hopefully everyone else is on board with it. Um, I was with you, Armando, on the Altered Beast. The first time I listened to the Altered Beast section, I thought it was just complete nonsense. Um, <laughs> it, I warmed up to it eventually. I wasn't, like, the, the storytelling, like, that A-B-A-B uh, rhyming structure, I think that's how, what, how you describe it, uh, got a little war on me a little bit um, i don't think that's a rhyme alter beast alter me i think that's just well it was like uh we were you, you were poetry some, doesn't have to rhyme man like, i would i skewered you with my fork like that of succulent pork it was there after dark where i saw you at the park i was like um uh, is that actually the lyrics or is that just your subconscious the, leaking the, the fork pork line is almost i know there's okay. a, there's something like that but so like you chop the gams, I'll bring my mask. You know, yeah. like Mars Volta. You you work the cocks, I'll sniff the rocks. <laughs> yes, exactly. I uh, got a penis that'll rip through the fabric of time. Yeah. Well there, buddy. But um so when I, and then live they don't play that those narrations, so all of a sudden those songs got a lot better. Um mm. Han T- it, just for me, but overall it, musically it's all fine. Han Tumi I thought was kind of cool. Um it's I the the Texas speech thing doesn't bother me too much. Um, the, there is a song called Vomit Coffin, which, like, it, you shouldn't be able to get away with that when your band is not anal cunt, but somehow they got away <laughs> with a I think song. they're so, like, tongue-in-cheek that they could make their songs anything. I mean, you got Hi, Han Tayumi, the Confused Cyborg, like, right. or Soy Protein Munt Machine, just like, those are the two tracks before it, so. Right, and so then the really, whole story is, like, comparison. a cy- the cyborg makes a friend, the friend rejects him, and then the, he tries to merge with the friend, and then it won't stop barfing, and then the world dies from being barfed to death. And you're like, that's that's a storyline, folks. Kind of like the first, uh, I just saw this on Reddit today, the first, like, um, worm virus that was initially supposed to be beneficial by measuring the size of the inter- uh, the internet, and I guess by bouncing from client to client, but then it just, you know, went haywire became bug right but uh overall it's again another great album um it it, for me this one took uh, like two three listens for it to like fully click at first i wasn't really appreciating it but there's some really really good moments 
it's kind of like just three big songs glued together or like three EPs. You can look at it one of those two ways. Um, I didn't even notice that originally. I just thought of it as one big album without looking at the fact that they're divided because sonically speaking, it all sounds the same. That's true. It's very true. Musically, it all connects. Yeah, it's kind of like a specific collection of shorts or short films or short stories or whatever, you know, but they have the same theme and style and... You know, like a like a Call of Cthulhu book or something. You know, or a real musical grindhouse. Actually, Call of Cthulhu uh, would definitely, if you know, that's the vibe I'm getting from this in general. You've got that sort of dystopic, psychedelic universe vibe. Yep. Thematically speaking, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, as opposed to uh, a bright sunny day on the sidewalk in the afternoon of the Mild High Club. Yeah, so it sounds like you're describing the beautiful album cover of our last album, Sketches of Brunswick East. Gee golly whiz there, you might be onto something, buddy. Chris, tell us about Sketches of Brunswick East. Uh, it's a really good album that was recorded with uh, Mild High Club, who I... I listened to I've listened to some of their stuff in the past, but um, I should have brushed up on it. I think um, how would you describe their music? Mm, I don't actually know them. Neither of you know them. No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I just okay. saw it on there. I didn't. I thought it was just you know part of the cover art. Oh no, they're a band. Uh, so is that the flute, the flautist? And yeah, it's. It's really cool, and all, like uh, loungy exotica jazz, um, sort of like which is not what I was expecting. Mixed with Mike Patton, because um, when they talk. said they were going to be doing a jazz record. Oh, sorry, but you know, kind of like how Dub Trio joins with Mike Patton, some and others to become Peeping Tom, right? You've got a a little instrumental group that joins with a band to make, uh, and it's interesting that you think by adding members like that that you'd get a more toned down, stripped down album. Yeah, this this album has a lot of breathing room, which is one of my favorite parts about it. Um, uh, I'd say uh, my favorite track was um, what's it called? Spider and Me. When those fucking bird samples come in, yeah, that was gorgeous. That was incredible. Um, I I would say that this is probably going to be my favorite album of the year. Mm. Um, I really really enjoyed it. What did you guys think? Yeah, I, dug, I agree. I dug, I dug it a lot. Um, the first time, again, it didn't quite click, but then the second, third time, it started to really make sense. Um, there's some really fun little numbers in here, and especially after how intense Murder of the Universe was, all of a sudden to go, no, just kidding, guys. We can still put up mellow albums. We can still chill and relax. Um, it has an upbeat relax though it's like yes. a, it's a, I love that it's like an upbeat kind of like a sunny afternoon kind of vibe where you're just like feeling good yeah it reminds me of some of my favorite um, like 70s jazz albums um, there's, there's a lot of this shit that like sounds like this that comes out of Europe it has that like upbeat um, feel to it rather than you know being like really intense bebop you know hard yeah. bop related shit um yeah, it's it's just so lush. It's such a fucking lush album. I love it. I really love it. I'm smitten by it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, what do you know about it in general, and what do you, what's your take on it? Not a whole lot. Um, I because this one just sort of dropped, and then I didn't get a chance to really read a whole lot about it. Um, 
so I just know it's sort of a, it's it's a bit of a gluing of a couple different of two groups together. Um, and for a band that starts off with seven people, then you attach more people like some sort of musical Voltron. It's impressive how they didn't turn this into some wild uh, apocalypse inside of an orange uh, or bitches brew. Yeah, that's, of... that's exactly the kind of thing I was expecting, and they totally went the other direction. No, and I think it's like Armando said, like this is like, you know, have a couple glasses of wine at the park and you're just watching the clouds go by kind of music Total. you might enjoy a baguette with europe. some cheese uh, europe yeah it's just like you know you're doing the europe thing <laughs> that's what all of europe does on the sunday they all go well, on a where's park brunswick east i'm guessing that's where they did this because it has a very local vibe to it right it's sort of like you know the go outside feel i have no idea just stepping outside like, your door so brunswick east that's either new brunswick or somewhere in uh or like canada i mean like well, or, that's uh, that's not really a reference and then the sketches part is a um, has a double meaning. It's a homage to sketches of Spain, and it's um, you know, like this is Dali. Uh, it's mostly improv based. Um, they said in a press release, so like you know, these are like sketches, like literal sketches of stuff. Well, you were uh, Alex. You were saying in the chat earlier that you thought that they could have done more with the drumming. The first time I listened to it, I did feel that way, where I felt like there could have been a little bit more. Um, the second time I went through it, I started pulling out a little bit more of the nuances. And and I think it was just because I kind of initially came in like, oh, this is going to be some like jazz. <laughs> like when it was like jazz, I'm like, oh, it's going to be like a jazz album. And I had been listening <laughs> to some of like what Chris mentioned, like that heavier 60s, 70s bebop, uh, like solo heavy uh, way to annoy everyone at the party kind of music um, and this is not that so I think that initially it's more like off. turtle or something it's you know? like that, so I listened to tortoise it. tortoise is that the band yes it, tortoise it, is a band turtle, turtle. is not <laughs> turtle is a character from Entourage wait turtle isn't a band yet there are the turtles uh, yes. uh we but, gotta have a turtle somebody out there get on that singular turtle just, just turtle one. not just a turtle. turtle or the turtle just turtle <laughs> And not just Turtle. This reminded me a bit of um, earlier career Yaga Yazis before they added the electronic components. Um, oh, check that out. I love Yaga Yazis, but they have so much music that it's just sort of like one thing at a time for me. Right. But uh, overall... Did they only released like five albums. But dude, yeah. dude this, those albums are just so dense. I mean, I have to stay on one for a while before I really get it. And then I'm just like, holy shit. And I listen to it for a while. And then I'm like, I need more Yaga Yazis. And then move on to the next. It's kind of like, I don't know. Because I've been listening to them for years, and I just still... I guess I don't listen to them a lot. I just will listen to them every now and then when I'm in that Yaga Yaza's mood, you know? So I like eating their sandwich over a long time. That seven-foot foot party sub is going down slow. It's seven-foot baguette with brie cheese, bruh. Yeah. And and <laughs> magic butter, I'm guessing. Yum. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I thought, yeah, like you said, the drumming is definitely more nuanced on this, but... Uh, you know, like as a drummer, I'm sure you're also familiar. It's playing just a simple, like you know, while doing syncopated stuff over it is like much different than playing a four four or a five eight or a nine eight count in any other way. And it's interesting to hear them sort of. It sounds like because they they don't really do a lot of that triplet stuff at all on their other albums. It's a lot more eighth notes in interesting subdivisions and complements of each other, but they don't really... 
in this album, their triplet fills are very like you know da 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 just all six triplets or whatever you know they do right. the whole thing so it's interesting to hear them kind of like okay we're gonna go into this slowly now we're gonna we're gonna do proper jazz here but it's gonna be like you know let's keep it simple first and uh, well I mean you know overall it totally works but when you look at it sort of like as a in terms of their career as uh, musicians it's interesting to see that as well absolutely and there's some really uh, I'm glad Chris mentioned Spider and Me that song is so cute and fun. Um, I liked the book, which had a little bit more of that sort of like Texas speech kind of sound, but it was just that it, it just it's catchy. It's got like a it, it is quirky as fuck. It's got like a '60s spy movie, like or like Pink Panther kind of vibe going. Just getting nice. the book. Uh, and then uh, you can be your silhouette. It's a fun yes. second to last track. Um, I do like that one a lot. Overall, it's just it, it, it only running at 37 minutes is a bit of a shorter album, so it's a it's something you could put on when you're hanging out with friends, just hang, chilling out, not doing anything. When you're cracking one open with the homies. Right. Honestly, like, I put it on for a bike ride when I had to go somewhere, and it was perfect because it just has that pleasant upbeatness. It's not yeah. like energetic. It's just like getting there, you know, just moseying along. It's very pleasant. Yeah, I mean, like, I can totally see how if you were looking for King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards sound that they put out 10 albums worth of or whatever before they started doing this thing uh some of their more traditional fans might be dismayed but i think as far as important musicians go you have to do that in order to really um grow as a musician in the first place and then kind of like see where it goes from there when you start incorporating and mixing these different worlds of music together after you know focusing on one at a time yes. so like it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here for sure like they were actually progressing as a band, as opposed to some acts that just keep rehashing their same old sound. Like this, you you, it's, you can sort of tell it's the same group. Like you can, but it's I don't know, man. It's well, that's sort of why I made that initial Volta comparison. Is that um, this is a band, and I think early on, if you were if you were listening to like the first few albums, you could make the argument that yeah, there, there's some sameness. Um, with and I think it was like a, right around I'm in your mind uh, mind fuzz is when they really started actually trying to branch out a little bit more. But then you get to this album, and if you were to listen to this album and then go backwards, you would be listening through Murder, Microtonal, Nanagon, Paper Mache. Like they all have these very varied sounds. It's this demonstration of this is a band that's not afraid, especially with Stu McKenzie as the primary songwriter. This is a band that's not afraid to try new ideas, experiment with stuff. Obviously, they sort of have a core. Uh, con- there's a core that surrounds this band of like this is sort of like these albums all have like a G- King Gizzard vibe, but they each are unique and different. And so it makes it's for me it's very exciting of like what are the other albums going to sound like? Like what directions are they going to go to? What are they going to try out? Are they going to like is the next yeah. album going to be like uh, I don't know like funk or are they going to make a rap album or see that's they, what things gonna- I was more excited about bands with Volta or Tool even but they never really satisfied <laughs> on that front I have to say this because they were doing the Middle Eastern sound on Lateralis and then they kind of went backwards with 10,000 Days and it's like well wh- I thought I was looking forward to like maybe do some acoustic tracks or some weird you know some, just something different right. so it's really exciting to hear that a band just saying like no aha surprise I was talking about this with someone else. I was talking about this with someone else too, and I think something that really makes me happy about this band is in 2017. It is hard to find. There are bands, but it's hard to find a like a rock band. You know what I mean? 
like most bands now are just like a, a consortium of synthesizers and MacBooks glued together in some sort of like Transformers monster. And okay. like you, it, it's great music. Like it's there's nothing wrong with that style of music. Or, or I, whichever band you want to describe, but like Just even like bands that were bands that were traditionally like rock and roll bands traded all their stuff. Like we're in sort of like the '80s version two, where once again all the rock bands traded in their guitars for computers. Um, and so it's, wave is in, yeah, oh totally. And you know it's <laughs> it's definitely a trend, but like it's very cool to see a band that like yes, there is a keyboard, there is one keyboard. But the guy also is playing the harmonica and like all and like making the wacky rattlesnake noise and yeah. whatever, and like yeah, it's, it's more it's of a, a traditional genu- uh, Bruce Springsteen lineup. <laughs> you know, this is this is definitely Bruce Springsteen's lineup. Um, but like, it's a tradi- in a in a sense, it's a traditional rock and roll band, and like a exactly, rock and roll we were band- talking about that earlier. See, I'm glad you went back to that, latched onto that theme there. Okay, and so like it's it's definitely not like you know it doesn't sound like the Beatles, but. Um, it's rock music that's creative, that's exploring Actually, new things. Actually, I would say this album is a little bit Beatlesy. Now that you said that, well, this one, yes, but okay, sorry. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying Paul McCartney was going to create a vomit coffin anytime soon. Um, could be wrong, but so it, to me, that 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 to me is always exciting to like find like a good rock band that's producing exciting rock music in this era. Not that the other stuff isn't good. Like I love ele- the electronic stuff. I love other genres, but like to see a lot of bands just throw all that stuff like uh what was up uh, portugal the man's last album you know you know what i mean like all of a sudden that's just like big choruses and grindy synth basses and shit when they used to be sort of a psychedelic rock band and like hucked it all out the window but this band is still doing what they've been doing yeah and all these fucking kids better get off my lawn yeah get them <laughs> Like what do you, do you like? Am I am I crazy? Sort of in that thought process, or we I might mean, be crazy together. Bandcamp band camp is just like an infinite black hole of like musical genres, you know. So like it's like that's sort of where rock music is moved. Like radio is pretty much dead. All the young people are listening to EDM, and like rock music pretty much exists there and commercially nowhere else. I mean, except for King Gizzard, who, like... That 28 to 37 bracket? Yeah, like... King Gizzard cracked uh, the Billboard Top 100, which is pretty unheard of for, like, a random indie foreign rock band to do in 2017. Um, It was one of of these last three. I can't remember which one. Pretty incredible, Um, especially when they put out so many albums that one of them would actually... I mean, on a record sales chart, like, people actually went out and bought it? Yeah. Like, that's phenomenal and like what <laughs> which one I is mean, it i gotta people, know it's uh, uh murder of the universe uh, actually hit 20 on u.s top rock albums on billboard okay 15 on alternative okay i was looking at, i fucked it up it was the uk uh uk one but uk is good nonagon infinity number four u.s heat seekers that's the, important. the b-grade billboard chart <laughs> okay if it's not hollywood it no, you're you know, right. Doesn't just... Count. <laughs> just kidding. But like, so it's an album that's actually getting some recognition. Yeah, I mean, I. So where are they from? Australia. 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 That's southern. Eight. That's the south. You mean of the hemispheres? Yes. Sure. All right. <laughs> three. 
three out of seven are wearing glasses in this band photo that oh, I see. Two, well, you know what, Armando, I, whether you meant it or not, to be fair, you're right, because Melbourne, where they're from, is from southern is southern Australia. So they're even more southern than I thought. They're like the, the super south. <laughs> That's like as south as you can get, essentially, is what you're saying. After that, it's, the world, like, it's just the wall of ice. There's, like, like, crunk, <laughs> and then there's, like, Australia. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's a bottom level. <laughs> so these bad boys are projecting all of their music northward. Basically, it's a wall of amps. Yep. Like, uh, Ingwe Malmsteen level. So when the ice caps melt, they'll melt from the top and the bottom, right? No, that's not how gravity works. It'll all just go down. So it'll drip off the planet. We're okay. Well, it's a flat Earth, so it just sinks into the paper. Right. Yeah, we're just feeding the turtle. I mean, sorry, turtle. The... That definitely sounds like a euphemism for jerking off. <laughs> feeding yeah. turtle. Uh, this is a great band. You guys should all listen to them. I got to listen to more of them now. There's other albums to yeah, digest. Plenty of them. Uh, Plenty of warnings to put on a CD and knock out. Chris, do you have anything to plug? I got nothing to plug. Armando, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, bro, I spent yesterday filming for Family Pictures USA, which is a pretty cool title, of this group I've been filming with for like six or seven years. Like I started my internship with them, and the film Through a Lens Darkly was the same group that went to Sundance So uh, in Berlin and uh, was on PBS and shit. So I'm looking forward to more uh, success with them. Cool. My fam. Yeah. Check it out. Family Pictures USA. It's like people bring their photos and tell their stories and stuff. Like, you know, I, I really get into that. It's very heartwarming and shit. Yeah, it sounds like NPR for your eyes. Yes. Thank you. That's great. I got to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a new slogan for you guys. Uh well, you can find us uh, on Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, and our own website, riffnralk.com, uh, where you can read uh, a bunch of articles that I have written over the years and uh, listen to more episodes. But, uh, guys, thanks for, thanks for joining. It's been real. It has.